0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, Meryl Turbis Guide to Medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin God, 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 McElroy.
1: Uh, and I'm Sydney McElroy. If you're going to cough like that... Not,
0: I'm not. I'm not. I'm going to stay hydrated and pumped and okay. no more coughing. That's my last cough.
1: Okay. It would help if you didn't do like chanting in our intro, if our intro didn't I have refuse, to be a chant. I refuse
0: to bring down the, the energy for our audience that relies on us to get hyped and to get pumped for their week.
1: With a with a chant? Like with a... It brings the energy. Okay. Um, I don't know what you're talking it, this is appropriate <laughs> that uh, for our topic this week. Mm-hmm. This is actually why we're doing this this week. So we didn't have an episode last week, and I'm very sorry about that. It is... Primarily my fault. I guess it's partially your fault cuz you were also ill. we don't need to assign blame. But I was the I was the I was the I was iller. <laughs> the illest. The illest. As she was I was the illest
0: in, in middle school in her Tasmanian <laughs> Devil sweatshirts. The illest.
1: I I did not have a Tasmanian Devil sweatshirt. I had a Tasmanian Devil baseball cap. <laughs> and it was just a big T. You know, looking all cool.
0: Very cool. The yeah. The coolest. The illest. The one illest. Might say. Uh, this
1: is a true story. I had that hat. Anyway, I'm not talking about ill in that sense. We were just sick, Ugh. like you know, we had a sickness.
0: Y'all, we took so many COVID tests. You have no idea.
1: We, I was certain we had COVID. I'm trying to convince myself we definitely did not. We had, I mean, we had like home tests and PCRs. We did the whole thing, the whole bit, um,
0: a lot of home tests, a, a lot of several yeah. PCRs, three PCRs, three PCRs. <laughs>
1: we were, I was just, I it, the symptoms fit. We, of course, as you know, are fully, fully vaxxed to the max.
0: Quintuple vaxxed.
1: Quintuple vaxxed in this household, like the two of us. Our kids are fine. Yeah. Never got a symptom. Both no. fine. Both fine. Um, So I don't know. I don't, I don't know what it was, but oof, oof. I will say this. If it was COVID and all those tests were wrong, which I'm not saying it was, but if that's true, this is testimony to the importance of vaccination. Yeah. Because... We were both pretty sick. I was, I, I am still, you can hear it.
0: I was kind of inspirational, I felt like, in the way that I pushed through to take care of you and our family. See, Did don't you feel, give me, don't, you are playing into. Like Sid was still in bed, kind a of really in stomach, oh watching Don Draper, and I'm like up making lunches, bring home the bacon fried up in a pan kind of deal, you know? It's like, come on, Sid, are you sure it, you're this sick? Because I feel fine.
1: It could have also been the flu. We've also both got flu shots, of course, but it could have still been the flu um, either way we are both getting better and Every we will day. be fine. So if it was either of those, thank you, vaccines. Yeah. If it was some other virus, I'm mad at you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it it called to mind the idea that generally when I am sick, I do not miss work. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I did last week. We didn't do a sawbones. And I also did not go – I. I work at Harmony House. I volunteer there to provide free medical care, and I did not go, um, mainly at the request of the director, our good friend yeah. Amanda, who said, please do not come. Please do not come. You, you are, are sick. Not, you what are not is, wanted here. What is wrong with you? Why would you come to work when you're sick? You could make other people sick. And I'm thinking, well, I'll wear a mask. I'll be very careful. But And, and the, the, her other point was, shouldn't you rest? Like, shouldn't you get better? You know, when you're sick, even mm. if it's not about – being contagious shouldn't you like rest and take care of yourself and get better and this is an idea that had not ever really occurred to me for me i preach it i do not practice it so i thought it would be interesting to talk about that compulsion to work when you're sick that is true for many people of many different professions especially in like a sort of a capitalist economy that really stresses the importance of it's kinda like, going to work. I mean our whole our whole culture does, right? Like that's yeah. why we have perfect attendance awards. Right. I never got one of those. Never won. Not a single one. But that's why we have those because we think it's important to show up no matter what.
0: And it's especially true for doctors.
1: It exactly. would sort
0: of be like if if I may, it would sort of be like if a mechanic called in and said I can't come to mechanic work today because my car broke down. Yes. Then everybody would be like, "Just fix your car."
1: Well, I do think there's that. There's a lot of reasons. I think that's part of it for sure. And I, and I think specifically, if you look, and there's data to support this, healthcare workers and the worst offenders being physicians come to work sick at rates that are higher than the general public. We we do that, and that seems wild because we are also the people who tell you to stay home mm-hmm. when you're sick. So what's going on? So I thought it would be interesting to kind of look into that. Um and this is this has been a big topic of conversation because of the pandemic because we are kind of compelling people, not kind of, we are compelling people to work sick now, especially when hospitals are at crisis standards. The recommendations are basically if you have COVID but either you're you're asymptomatic or you're getting better, put on your mask and come to work mm-hmm. um in crisis standards, not regular standards, but that is that is the new Dictate in a lot of hospitals that you will have people who might be working who have COVID, who would be contagious. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we are so short staffed. That is the new idea. But this predates the pandemic. A lot of people went to work sick before COVID was ever a concern. Reasons for that, there's a whole range. And certainly there are some things that are more like um practical. You don't have a sick day, you can't miss work because you get paid, you know hourly for when you're there and you cannot miss out on that paycheck you know people need the money to pay the bills Mm -hmm. keep the lights on lack of coverage there's nobody if i'm not there there's nobody there that's been my my story my whole life if i'm not doing it there's nobody to do it instead so i better go
0: and this is like just to drill down this and i think we've illustrated this before but like this is not as simple as Sydney isn't there today, so call in. Like there's an issue with like continuity of care, right? Sydney is the one who is yes. in charge of the patients and it would not be it's not as easy as like you come in and watch them for a day.
1: And there is no exactly. That happens in the hospital and in the office. If you are scheduled to see your family doctor and your family doctor calls in sick, there is no backup plan to like, well, why can't we put these patients on other doctors' schedules so that they can still be seen today? Maybe that happens other places, but my experience is, no, they just cancel all the appointments. Mm -hmm. And that's very frustrating if you've waited a while to go see your doctor, and then your doctor isn't there, and your appointment gets canceled, and maybe you had an issue you want to talk about. So anyway, there's also like fear of repercussions from your boss uh, for not showing up when they wanted you to, cultural things like, I just want to do it myself, Uh, I don't want to let my colleagues down, this is who I am, professional identity. There are a lot of issues, right? It's mainly that one. (laughs) Um, And while all of this uh, would clearly hold true for members of the medical profession, all of these things I just mentioned are concerns. Um, But it's still shocking, I think, that this is called sick presenteeism is the term for this. Presenteeism is showing up even when you maybe shouldn't or can't do your best. Do you know that term? Yeah. I, I didn't. I never used that term. I know absenteeism. I had that with a lot of parties
0: when I was in high school, just showing up when no one really wanted me to
1: do No, it's not. That's not true, and that's not what it is. Presenteeism is when you show up, and this doesn't have to be because you're sick. This could be because you're going through um, some sort of stressor or family crisis or something like that. For some reason, you are not up to being at work that day, but you show up anyway. Mm. That's presenteeism. And specifically when it comes to sick presenteeism, doctors are among the worst. Um, and there's a long history of this across cultures, by the way, this is not, I know a lot of people would say, well, this is, this has got to be like an American thing because that's Americans. They go to work. That's their thing. It's not just in America. It is, it is a cross-cultural issue. Um, it wasn't until, and I, I want to talk about a little bit about like the idea of doctors getting sick in general, because obviously everybody gets sick. Yeah, So doctors have always gotten sick. As long as we've had doctors, sometimes they've been sick. Uh, But that specific issue, sort of like you mentioned, the idea of the car mechanic whose car breaks down, the doctor who gets sick, that sort of entered into like the the cultural imagination in the 19th century, and it was primarily based on a certain illness that was uh, not solely a problem for physicians, but was highly linked to the medical profession, and that was addiction. Mm. That was the first... Uh, medical condition that was sort of connected to the idea that doctors get sick. And it was because, and we've done shows on this, with the invention of the hypodermic syringe and the ability to inject first morphine for pain control, we saw a lot of physicians develop addiction Mm. uh, to morphine. And so for a while, there was this sort of linkage of like, well, doctors do get sick sometimes. They get addicted to morphine. Mm, And this was sort of the first writings you would see, people writing about hospitals where over half of the doctors there are using morphine on a regular basis and and that kind of thing. Um, And the next accounts, again, are linked to particular illness. So first it was this concern for substance use disorder, and then it moved on to um, the classic doctor illness became angina. Uh, what's that for chest pain related to your heart angina related to like lack of blood flow meaning oxygen to a part of your heart muscle causing pain angina Mm -hmm. um, that became very closely linked to the medical profession Hmm. Um, and there were some again there was some research that suggested that while anyone in a high stress job you know may experience angina certainly doctors did tend to get angina at a higher rate than other professions necessarily. Um, And so you began to connect like, well, that's the doctor disease. So that was the other way doctors got sick. They either could get addicted or they would get chest pain because they're in these high stress jobs that uh, tax your cardiac health. And so they develop a heart attack would be the concern, right? But again, these were really accounts about doctors. These were people writing about like, this kind of doctor figure the doctor figure who either because they have access and are constantly around morphine and syringes become addicted to morphine or they were writing about the doctor figure who works so hard so many long hours denies themselves all of the you know relaxations that the rest of us enjoy and maybe engages in high-risk behaviors like smoking or whatever and so they develop chest pain gotcha heart attacks yes um this was not doctors writing about being sick. Doctors weren't doing that yet. Um, but by the 20th century, you start to see that change. You start to see doctors considering the idea that maybe being sick and having the knowledge they have could make them a useful conduit for what that experience is like. Mm, Do you know okay. what I mean? Yeah, 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 Like I can filter my it, my experience of having... An illness through my medical knowledge and give you an account that might be more illuminating in some way.
0: You can send me the bottom of the sea. I'm going to be like, dang, there's a lot of fishes down there and they're just wilding out. But if you get Jacques Cousteau down there, he's going to have some perspective that will probably be a little bit more useful.
1: There you go. That was exactly, and that's exactly the first accounts that were put together. There was a collection that was co- put together in Germany in 1929 called Doctors as Patients. And it was very much doctors giving accounts of their illnesses uh, through their own medical lens.
0: Jacques Cousteau was, like, barely alive when I was alive.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, like, I don't know that the new generation has, like— What's like the com- comparable? I mean, Steve Zissou from the Life Aquatic is fictional. Who's like the deep sea guy for this generation? Well, honey, I don't know. Who's the deep sea guy that millennials turn to when they need a reference for a deep sea guy? I, I don't know. People will have to tell us, I or guess. A person in general. So it doesn't have to be a guy. Yeah. These days, it could be anybody. All on the gender spectrum can go down the bottom of the ocean and walk around. Mm hmm. It's just, who's a deep sea person for this generation? Justin, I don't
1: know the answer to that question. That was not part of this episode. Okay,
0: go ahead.
1: Maybe somebody can tell us. Yeah. Maybe tweet, somebody will help. helpfully tweet to tweet us. Tweet that at Barack Obama,
0: and I'll just look for his <laughs> mentions.
1: Who is, the, who is the Jacques Cousteau of this generation? Just
0: tell Barack Obama and, call, you know, CC me on it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Barack will appreciate it too, I'm sure.
0: Barack loves to hear. I Yeah, I tell people to tweet Barack a lot for no good reason.
1: Uh, so anyway, the, and these accounts were, again, doctors writing about their own illnesses. And the idea was this could be helpful to other doctors. It could also be helpful to people who just want to know about an illness. Maybe they have it. Maybe they know somebody who has it. You know, this would be this would be helpful for people. Gotcha. This was followed by, in 1952, the book When Doctors Are Patients, which was – Put together by Max Penner and Benjamin Miller, and again, it was the same idea. There are a lot of different um, disease processes, sort of explained by doctors from their autobiographical, you know, perspective. Everything from typhus to manic depression is described, um, and they're written so that even that they're not written for like a textbook audience. It's a it's so that non medical people, if they are so inclined, can read them gain an understanding of the disease, learn about it from a doctor. Um, And the idea was, again, that like, as a doctor, you may be able to to describe this better. Mm -hmm. You may be able to give insights into it. So like, I'm experiencing it and I know the anatomy and physiology. So I can talk about it in a... More yeah. robust way. And I'm not saying this like is necessarily lived true, but lived experience you know, that
0: colors their yeah,
1: this sure. was the this was the thought process,
0: along behind. with like aside from like the specific t- illness, like the anxieties and fears and concerns mm-hmm. and exactly. you know, all that stuff
1: um and there's no there is no thought in these anthologies and these stories, and I'm using these as sort of a window into the minds of uh, physicians of the era. It's not and uh, it is not a um an identity thing. It has nothing to do with who they are. It's, oh, yeah, I had that. Let me tell you about it. It's that. Mm-hmm. It's that simple. And it's not a very um, convoluted idea to be sick as a doctor because the idea is, well, yeah, I mean, of course, I'm a human. Of yeah. course I get sick. So here it is. Here's the experience. There. Did that help you? Good. Okay. Moving on. And that's really it. But then we see a shift. And I want to tell you about that shift. I'm ready. But first we have to go to the billing department. <sighs>
0: let's go the
1: medicines the medicines that the mouth.
0: Sydney you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin Mcroy fan site full of all your favorite quotes clips videos and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin Mcroy
1: I don't remember well there's that. no
0: need to wait any longer Sydney because Squarespace is gonna make it easier then you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar.
1: I don't think I was going to. Squarespace,
0: what is it? It's a tool. Think of it as the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the Easel, the metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products, you can uh, post your videos, you can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts. And that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. Hi, I'm Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. And I'm Jordan Morris, boy detective. Our comedy podcast, Jordan, Jesse, go, just
1: celebrated its 15th anniversary. It was a couple months ago, but we
0: forgot. Uh, Yeah, completely. Our, Our silly show is 15 years old. That makes it old enough to get its learner's permit. And almost old enough to get the talk. Wow, I hope you got the talk before then. A lot of things have changed in 15 years. Our show's not one of them. We're never changing, and you can't make us. Jordan, Jesse, go the same forever at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Prepare yourself for the greatest pro wrestling podcast spectacular known as Tides, Tides and Fights. And Fights. A fact-dropping audio showcase that helps you understand the world of pro wrestling with a lot of love and no toxic masculinity. Featuring host Danielle Radford. Time to kick butt and chew gum. And I'm all out of
0: butts. Lindsay Cal. I'm a brutal Brit and my fists were made to punch and hit. And how lovely! I was doing the voiceover this whole time.
1: Hear us talk about pro wrestling's greatest triumphs and failures, and
0: make fun of its weekly absurdities on the Perfect Wrestling Podcast.
1: Tights and fights every Saturday, Saturday, Saturday on maximum
0: fun. Things were things were shifting. Said so there are big, big things afoot.
1: The the medical profession has continued to change, especially, you know, in places where medicine has been more highly tied to business and there's a lot of money to be made off of medicine by not just the people do like not just doctors, but everybody involved. And as the profession has shifted, the identity and attitudes of the people who work in it have also shifted. And that is true, again, cross-culturally. Um, but especially in this collection of stories from 1987 called When Doctors Get Sick by Harvey Mandel and Howard Spiro, you see a very different tone begin to develop. And that's not that far apart. We're talking about the 50s to the 80s. In the grand scheme of things, that's not a huge chunk of time. But it's the same format. So again, these these books are very similar in that you have here is a chapter that's just this is who this doctor is, this is what they have, here's their story. And that doctor can write however they want to about it. Like, mm-hmm. here is my experience with getting diagnosed. Here's my experience with getting treated. Whatever piece of that tale they want to tell, is that's up to them. This, again, is the same idea. Uh, and they have a, a wide range of illnesses that they have doctors talking about. Everything from multiple sclerosis, Lyme disease, Parkinson's, alcoholism, depression, Crohn's, lymphoma, all different manner of issues um, sometimes multiple chapters about one thing. You know, there are a couple different accounts of depression from different perspectives. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing is that as you read these stories, and I've been able to read, I, I I would love to get a copy of this book. It's hard to find now. There aren't a lot out there easily available, and it's pretty expensive. I got you. Um, but I found some. I got you. You found a way? I found one on eBay. Anyway. Oh. Uh. I would love to read this book in person because I found some excerpts. I was able to find some little free samples online so that I could read bits and pieces of it. But I do want to pay for this book because I want to read it. Uh, But the stories are so different in the way that they talk about being sick. It's clear that this isn't just, here's a story of an illness. There's an underlying hint of sometimes shame, fear, frustration, there's anger sometimes. There's confusion not about what's happening. It's very clear, and, and I haven't read every single story in the, in the book, obviously, but from, from the samples that I was able to read, it's very clear that there is this layer of, like, an identity crisis that is happening for a lot of people because they're, they're able to intellectualize what's going on with their disease process they know what that means. They know when the doctor tells them what it is. They even know before the doctor tells them. They know just from the sequence of events that are occurring in the hospital. Right, they get, yeah. I already know what this diagnosis is going to be because you did that test and you said you were going to do that one and then you canceled it. So that means it was this. And they You're like, they know the
0: this. books and you see someone that has like a blow gun on the wall that's briefly mentioned, like, oh, I, got, I got you. Exactly. <laughs> I got my dude. That's it. So
1: they're not confused about what's happening. Unlike for a lot of patients who go through these experiences, they have that knowledge that makes mm-hmm. them sort of a step ahead in terms of knowing what comes next. But they don't know how to reconcile that with who they are. And I'm not saying that that is explicitly stated over and over again, but that feeling is definitely there. Um, I wanted to share a couple of examples from the book. So uh, there was one doctor who is sharing her story of depression. And she talks about how she knew there was something wrong, but she refused to say anything to anyone. She tried to treat herself. She was terrified of admitting this to anyone around her. Um, but she never stops working. She actually writes, in the autumn of 1982, I went on holiday, came back and thought, I can't face going to work. Of course I did manage to work. That yeah. is the next sentence. Because of course she still went to work. Right. Which I, I was reading this and I thought, oh man, I can identify with that so strongly. I know that feeling. Like when you, when you think that, I cannot get out of bed and go to work, to, whatever the reason, because you've got a you know, really bad respiratory illness or because of depression, whatever it is. I know that feeling, but then I know that simultaneous, well, but of course I will. Mm-hmm. There is no question as to if I will. I can't, but of course I will. Um, there was another account of a heart attack and the doctor, he as he's ex- describing this, as he's leading up to what's happening, he knows it from the first twinge of chest pain He knows what it is. And it is a textbook perfect account of someone experiencing a heart attack of angina. We know that's what's happening. He knows that's what's happening. And he tries to convince himself otherwise. He tries to talk himself out of it. He tries to test himself. Well, if it's angina, it will get worse as I go upstairs or exert myself more and it'll get better when I rest. And he does it and that is true, but he's still not ready to admit well, but maybe it's just, I pulled this muscle. Oh, but it's not sore there. Oh, and I mean, like, he, he's talking himself through it. And then finally, he gives in and says, okay, I know what this is. And he, and it is, he's having a heart attack. He goes to the hospital. He has, um, they attempt stenting, you know, with a cath, but they end up having to do surgery, a bypass surgery on him. And he says, when he finally decides to go in, ultimately, I had to surrender to my greatest fear. Not of death, which I considered without apprehension, not of disability, which I did not consider seriously enough, but fear of giving myself up to the doctors. It had to get very bad before I was willing to become a patient, Hmm. which is a wild statement. And and, and he goes on to say, like, it's not that I didn't trust the—I knew these doctors. It's not that I didn't trust them. It's not that I didn't think they knew what they were doing. It was nothing like that. It wasn't like a technical expertise thing. It was an identity issue. After his account, so he talks about going through the surgery and the recovery and everything like that, and he's doing better. And he says, the thing is, even though he did all this, nothing changed. He returned to his, quote, lifestyle of overwork, deadlines, tensions, and anxieties. And at the end, you think like, well, has he learned anything? And what he says is, I will do almost anything to avoid being a patient.
0: Except make the changes in in his lifestyle (laughs) that would actually be beneficial.
1: (laughs) He says he jogs. but (laughs) Whoa.
0: That'd be nice. I should do that.
1: (laughs) And these are really, what you see here are people who can't, they can't be sick because if they are sick, then they can't be a doctor.
0: Is that because you have a, like, is that a? looking down on patients or is it just like, that's not the identity that you have for yourself?
1: I think it is very much, it is, it is who you are. You are the person who stands to, you fix the problem, right? You are the one outside of the illness who fights it off. You are the one who protects people from sickness and death. You are not the person who succumbs to it. It's, I mean, I, I don't think it is a judgment. It's an identity. It's who you are.
0: Um, you don't have this in your notes, but I think that it is worth talking about the inverse of this that I have seen you do, where you have seen things break weirdly bad so many times that you have talked yourself into some truly heinous diseases that you uh, are in possession of. Yes, this Just is true. Just because you've seen the worst case scenario all the time. Like, you don't know how many times I got y'all. I'll look across the room and I'll see Sydney... With with a stethoscope on her chest And just this morning You were listening to your lungs To see if you had pneumonia And then you were like I think I might have a heart murmur And I was like Are you going to go get it checked out? And she's like No, probably, <laughs> probably
1: not I was also becoming increasingly panicked as I was listening to myself, and my heart was my heart rate was going up. And then I was having trouble discerning that from the children yelling as they were playing Roblox. And it was not I need I need someone else to examine me, which is why you shouldn't doctor yourself. Yes. You shouldn't doctor yourself. I will, yourself do, it.
0: I will a point. do it. I will do it. You don't choose my I'll do it. Do it.
1: <laughs> you shouldn't doctor yourself. But I mean, part of it too is the idea of like letting people down. If yes. you're sick, you can't take care of others, and. That's so much a part of who you are that the inability to do it, you lose your entire purpose on earth. One man in one of his accounts of um, being diagnosed with a form of cancer, the first thing he does is sit down to call his staff and say, we're going to have to cancel patients. Mm. That's the first thought yeah. is we need we need to let the patients know. I don't want them to show up at the office and think they have an appointment with me and then find out. I don't want them to be inconvenienced. We need to reschedule people. Um, and, and it really is, I, I saw one person write that, it comes from the perspective of, and I'm not saying that I feel this way, but this was one one sort of sense of why would this be so. When you become a doctor, they felt like it's like you made a deal with God, that as long as you took care of sick people, which he would like you to do, I suppose, in this feeling, that he would not let you get sick. Mm. And that was one feeling. Like, that's yeah, the deal so, I made. Yeah. I've devoted my life to taking care of others. So you can't let me get sick, which of course is not. I mean, everybody gets sick. Doctors get sick. We all get sick.
0: Is there any part of it? And I would bet this is like more for surgeons, but like, is there any part of it that you ever heard the old riddle? I guess it's that if you go to a town with two barbers and one has a bad haircut and one has a good haircut, <laughs> which one should you go to? It's right. The one with the bad haircut because the other guy is cutting his hair. is there anything of that with like doctors where they're like if you didn't think you were the like everyone probably thinks on some level that they're the best at what they do specifically is it hard to like oh this guy just don't let this guy work on me please this guy's a doofus like not Uh, trusting that your colleagues are like up to it
1: i will neither um confirm or deny that those conversations happen
0: (laughs) behind closed doors (laughs)
1: All right. I mean right. of course every you know people are people. You, you everyone has preferences. Everyone has But I mean that's not just true of doctors, that's true of everybody. Yeah. You know, you get recommendations, you have to go have a procedure done or go see a specialist and what do you do? You ask your friends, do you know anybody and they tell you, "Oh, that that person's a quack, don't go see them." But yeah, this person's great, go see them. I mean like, you know, everybody has that feeling.
0: Yeah.
1: Um I but anyway, you mention,
0: you're talking about this kind of clinically and we've joked about it but like if you're in a relationship with somebody for a long enough time, you have every permutation of every conversation there is, and you can disagree about stuff and argue about stuff. And sometimes you run into these like roadblocks, like logically, I think the, probably everybody has these where it's like, you know that I'm right. Like you've said that I'm right, but you still can't get pat. Like this is that deep, right. Mm-hmm. Where it supersedes logic. It supersedes, Intent. It's like down deep inside, and I feel like that. It's it's worth noting. It's not like doctors need would hear this episode and be like, "Oh, okay, I won't be that way anymore." It's like, yeah, it's down deep.
1: No, it's it's a hard thing because it's um it's the perfect storm because I think that there is some idea at least I know for me, and I'd say a lot of my colleagues would say the same thing. When you decide to become a physician, when you decide to go through that, there is some sort of sense of like. I am choosing to be like I am health, I am wellness. I am, that is me. That is who I I can help you with that. That is what I have taken on. And so even if and that and that is a that there's a lot of uh, cognitive dissonance involved in that cuz a lot of physicians engage in a lot of unhealthy behaviors, right? We're not all the best, you know, we don't all eat a healthy range of different foods all the time. We don't all exercise regularly, you know, we some of us stay up too late and drink beer. But (laughs) some of us, I'm just saying, like, not all doctors are healthy, but for some reason, there's this identity of like, that is where I am in the spectrum. Mm -hmm. I am on the health end. And then there's also like the external pressures, because I think that's the other part. So you already sort of have that kind of internal voice saying, like, stay well, take care of others. You have to, you have to, you have to, that's who you are. But then there's this flip side of all of your training reinforces it. I think that every residency probably has heard the story when you start of the mythological resident who rounded on patients while hooked to an IV. Mm. I think that you have all heard it. And I do not believe it, it is just at my program that you've heard the story of, well, so-and-so had the flu or had diarrhea or whatever. And they were so dehydrated, but they hooked themselves up to an IV of fluids and then rounded on their patients with their IV pole. Mm. I guarantee you that myth is told in every residency program everywhere. I can't tell you how many of my colleagues would brag about coming to work sick, working through an illness. I'm never taking a sick day. Yeah, We would all talk about, like, we've accumulated all these sick days. That's how, I mean, that's how I took maternity leave. The only way I was able to take maternity leave is because I had accumulated enough sick days because I never took a sick day. So then I was able to use them to have a baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think that, that, that our training perpetuates that. And there's tons of pressure from... Colleagues, from you know the people you're taking care of, from patients, from your administrators, from everybody, come to work, take care of others. That's who you are. That's your job. And we are also people pleasers. We want to get A's. We want mm-hmm. to get gold stars. Yeah. And so we do it. And it's not good. I, I am not endorsing this. By the way, mm-hmm. I am saying this is true. And there are studies that support this. Um, Not just in the U.S., they've done studies in the U.K. and Italy and Sweden and Norway and Hong Kong. All over the world, they've done studies that show that healthcare workers in general, and specifically doctors are the worst, they come to work sick. Some of the numbers were in the 60% range. Some of them were up in the 90% range of people admitting to coming to work sick. And these are people who are saying, I am coming to work with symptoms that if my patient told me they had, I would tell them to stay home. Right. So they're admitting it. They're saying, yeah, I went to work and- I probably shouldn't have. And the reasons are all the things we've already mentioned. You know, I mean, all those, all the, from practical fears of who else will take care of people. I mean, if I'm not there, there's literally no one else to do the job, which is sometimes true Mm -hmm. to, I would feel bad letting other people down. Just that sense of like, this is my job. And during COVID, I think the problem is that like, if you bring all this to the now, I would imagine that. There has been a shift internally in a lot of physicians recognizing seen in real time that if you do go to work sick with something contagious, you're a threat to the people around you. You're a threat to your patients and you're a threat to your colleagues and your staff and everybody, you know, that is not okay. It's not okay to walk around out in the world with a contagious disease, knowingly exposing other people to it. I Mm -hmm. mean- Maybe legally it's okay, but it's not morally okay. And I think that there certainly must have been a shift in a lot of us. I know there was for me because when I had the, when we first got sick and I thought there was a possibility that we had contracted COVID, there was no way I was leaving the house. Of course not. Of course not. I would never expose anybody to this. You know, there was no thought of that. So I, I imagine there has to be that kind of shift in medical professionals' mind. Mm. But what's going to be hard is reconciling that with a system that is telling us to go to work sick. Yeah. Which is, and that's not happening if if your hospital is still on regular standards, I'm certain that's not happening. But I guarantee there are going to be hospitals working in crisis standards, all kinds of medical facilities, where they are going to tell people, hey, listen, we have to have you. I know you tested positive, but you're asymptomatic. We got to get you back in here. Yeah. There's nobody else. And... When you go into healthcare, when they tell you it's you and there's nobody else and people need taken care of, I mean, you put on your scrubs and you go. Yeah. And
0: podcasting is like the same way.
1: Well, I mean, I'm podcasting right now.
0: Inspirationally, yeah.
1: Can I just make one last point? Of
0: course you may. It's your show, dear.
1: It is it is hard not to, and even as I talk about it, I feel it in myself. So I wanna I wanna give it voice. It is hard not to romanticize the idea that you are so tough (laughs) that you can work through anything. And I have had experiences where that has been reinforced, where I have gone to work with 101 degree fever and done my job and been literally applauded, not figuratively, literally applauded (laughs) for doing so, for being so strong and so committed and so dedicated. So I know that because of those reinforcements, That is still in me. There is still a voice in my head that says, but you soldiered on no matter what. I also recognize how dangerous that is and how it does also further stigmatize people who have chronic illness as like that is a bad thing. Mm -hmm. It is a bad thing to be sick, that it is some sort of like moral failing or failure of your strength or will or weakness or something when a disease state just is. It is morally... Neutral. (laughs) You are sick, you are well, you are chronically ill, you are acutely ill. All of those things have nothing to do with your worth as a person, with your abilities, with um, how you should be perceived by others. None of that comes into play. It is just sickness. Um, But that is a really hard thing, even as I talk about it, for me to constantly remind myself that I was sick, I stayed home, I didn't go to work i am not worthless (laughs) i I still matter my contributions are still worthwhile it is okay Mm -hmm. it is okay to stay home when you're sick it's okay to lay in bed and eat soup and watch mad men if that's what you want to do yeah so if you're sick please stay home yeah please stay home
0: although i understand doing anything to get out of the house with our kids here because i i'm losing it over here sitting
1: for I being in the it. house with our kids?
0: Yeah, I mean, like, I think that that's really what this is about. It's like just any excuse to get out of the house.
1: No, I love being at home with our Charlie had a snow day today. I was so excited. We're all here together. Yeah, I love it, and they're still healthy. They're sitting if here you're in, worried. in the corner.
0: Actually, they've been watching Mama and Papa podcast the entire yeah. time. No, sitting if, like Silent Cherubs.
1: If you're if you're worried, they're still they're still quite well. So thank goodness we yeah. managed to avoid, you know, infecting them with our
0: germs. <laughs> um. That is going to do it for us for this week. Thanks to the taxpayers for the use of their song Medicines as the intro and outro of our program. Um, I don't want to spoil it, but you should go to MaclroyMerch.com come February 1st, because I think there's gonna be a new uh sawbones pin that you're going to be delighted by. But it'll be better if you see it in person. MacklroyMerch.com. And uh thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Yeah.
1: You. Stay, stay safe. Yeah. Get your vaccines, get your boosters, encourage others to do so, wear your masks, stay Oh, there's going to be a
0: bumper sticker, uh, a someone's sort of bumper sticker. Oh, yeah. Uh, With Sydney's great quote, I'm not ashamed of my clown husband. So uh, that's also McElroy merch, uh, so you can... <laughs> you can
1: and I, I remain unashamed of my clown husband.
0: That is honestly, Sid. it's so sweet. Thanks to Jacob Bailey for designing that one and uh you'll be able to purchase that one too and that is going to do it for us uh until next time my name is Wait. Justin McRoy. oh what thank the taxpayers I already did I should oh. thank them first oh I'm sorry I missed that right I wasn't here. listening unless Listen, you're out of your head on cold medicine you're all hopped up on I'm your, not on cold medicine you're all hopped up on I did I
1: took ibuprofen and mucinex
0: that's going to do it for us until next time my name is Justin McElroy I'm Sydney McRoy. as always don't drill a hole in your head